Hello, Kevin. Awesome. You guys are nerds. Damn right. Oh, Kevin, you're so witty. I would stab someone in the face. Oh, that's gross. I'm cutting this, by the way. Bad Philosophy, episode 119, recorded on April 18th, 2012. Giant Monster Whiteboard. Hello, everyone. Welcome in. One, two, Bad Philosophy. Episode 119, we are upsetting the balance of reality. One rabbit trail and one slashing, gruesome, bloody death at a time. Uh, Kevin and I are here to <laughs> discuss a film that we just saw. Uh, that would be Cabin in the Woods. Go see it first. Go see it first. Uh, pause it now. Buy a ticket for your favorite local movie theater. Uh, drive there, bike there, or uh, you know, if walk there. If they've paused it now, they're, they're not going to hear you say this till they get okay. back. Okay. Well, um, now that you did the uh, most efficient means of transportation to the <laughs> film and uh, <laughs> came back and decided to start listening to the episode again, uh, wow, wasn't that amazing? Wasn't that just so freaking? Oh, it's pretty good. Sublime. Okay. Okay. All right. It's pretty good. All right, Kevin. So. I I am honestly, and this, this is something I haven't told you yet. We've been we've been talking about it casually since getting out of the theater about an hour ago. Um, I I'm surprised by just how not enthusiastic you are after having seen the movie. I don't. I think it's a good piece of film. Um, okay. It's it's it is incredibly well made and it is incredibly well structured. Mm-hmm. By the um, way, spoiler alert, we're going to talk about everything. Yes. That we um, so what, in what way is it well-structured, and what's, what ways are, are it, uh, is it well-made? Okay, well, well just, I, I use those two things sort of independently of each uh-huh. other. Because a well-made film does not have to be well-structured, and a well-structured film does not have to be well-made. Okay. Um, a well-made be... film is talking production quality. Okay. Acting, lighting, sound, Costumes, mm-hmm. set design. What would be a good example of a well-made but not well-structured film? Oh, see, there's a good question. Uh, well-made <laughs> but not well-structured. Well, film. it may be easier to provide another. Right, well, no, no, I'm, I can for... find one. Okay. Um, uh, first one that comes to mind is I Heart Huckabees, which probably most of y'all haven't seen. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it has some structural issues, but it's well-made. Has a big cast. Has. Uh, Dustin Hoffman and other famous people, and Lily Tomlin's in it. Okay. Um, let me see if I can think of a better a better example of a of a film that is not well structured. When I when I say what not well, anything out of Hollywood can be well produced more right. often than not, uh, right. barring bad acting usually or terrible special effects. <laughs> um, when I say a film's not well structured, I mean it has a lot of extraneous bits. Or it doesn't have the bits you need. Okay. Um, and bits is an intentionally vague term. Um, I could also say story elements. I could also say visual elements. Mm-hmm. But those aren't necessarily what bits are. Okay. Um, good bits are the bits you want, and, and extraneous bits are filler. They don't need to be there. Um, for example, I think... And I might be speaking sacrilege here. Monty Python and the Holy Grail, the scene with the old man from Scene Twenty Three, mm-hmm. um, where they, he tells them about where to go, <laughs> I actually think almost gives a little bit too much story to the film. Okay, and I think it's an extraneous bit. Other than it's the old man from Scene Twenty Four or whatever when they're yeah. crossing the bridge, which is kind of a nice gag, but the actual first scene that he's in, that Scene Twenty Four. Mm-hmm. Which isn't the 24th scene, but that's neither here nor there. Oh, yeah. Well, it's um, Python. So yeah, yeah. Um, doesn't add anything to the film, I feel. Hmm. They've already been given their quest, and they've already, they're already going into different ways to achieve it. It's not funny enough to stand on its own, and it's not worth the one callback joke. Okay. So that would be an example of bad structure. Of potentially, yeah. of, of potentially bad structure. Okay. And, and Monty Python intentionally plays with structure a lot of time. Yeah. Um, well, the fact that, that the film just ends without a climax, really. Like, just yeah, no, I mean, yeah, no. To a climax. I mean, well, if you, if you look at, just, back at Monty Python's ends. TV show, yeah. uh, Flying Circus, they do not have punchlines. Mm. And that was very much something they intended to do when they were setting it up and, re- and just having read about them and seen interviews and stuff. 
when they were creating it, the they were tired of sketch comedy that was all set up to a single punchline that wasn't very good. Uh-huh. Um, and so they intentionally subverted by, that by stopping their, their sketches before a punchline would happen. Mm-hmm. So the sketch itself was funny. There's no punchline to the sa- spam sketch. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not, in the original format, there's no punchline to the Dead Parrot sketch. One of the funniest sketches they've ever done doesn't really have a punchline. It ends... And it actually, in the original sketch, it gets interrupted for being too silly, and they switch to something else. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, the, the punchline is, you sold me a dead parrot, and I'm returning it. Well, so that's, that's, or, not, that's or, not a punchline. That's, that's where the humor comes from. That's, that's no, the that's, humorous disconnect. Yeah, my, my parrot died, and I'm, I'm trying to return it. Yes, that's <laughs> what's funny. Right. That's not a punchline. Right. That's just in the, in the structure of mm-hmm. it, yeah. Yeah, the, the uh, Dirty Fork sketch mm-hmm. is very much an, a... Um, are you familiar with the Dirty Fork sketch on Monty Python? No. All right, folks, don't pause it. Go Google it. Um, mm-hmm. I know it's definitely in and now for something completely different, their film. Okay. But the it's fancy restaurant. A guy says, you know, guy's there with his wife or his girlfriend or whatever, and says, I'm sorry, I've got a, a Dirty Fork. Could you take care of that? Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so, so sorry. You know, come back. And then uh, the manager comes in. It's like, I'm so, so sorry. I'm, you know, apologizing, you know. Um, and somebody's angry. And then and more and more people keep showing up and going crazy Uh-oh. over this, okay. this dirty fort. Uh, the cook eventually comes out and tries to kill somebody. <laughs> um, somebody's got an old war wound that's acting up. And it all goes absolutely bonkers. Mm-hmm. And it's very funny. Very funny. Um, and then they actually cut to a title card that says, And now the punchline. Uh-huh. And John Cleese, who was the guy with the dirty fork to begin with, was it John Cleese? I may be lying. John Cleese was the chef. I don't okay. know who it was. Um, says it's a good thing I didn't tell him about the dirty knife. <laughs> and that's a punchline, and it's yeah, funny. That's a punchline, yeah. But it's sort of it, and, and in that case, it was intentionally done to sort of undercut everything that went on before it. Right, right. Um, because that's what a punchline does but in a sketch also like show that. that. Like, is it really better that you had a punchline? You know, really? kind of, you know, <laughs> yeah, kind of slapping. Was the punchline worth it? Was it? Was it? Was it, was it worth, worth it? it? Yeah. Um, and so, they, and so they subvert that a lot. Um, right. So that's just Monty Python structure. Okay. One hundred and one. Well, let's let's go then to the second example, a movie that has that's well structured but poorly produced. Uh, first one that comes to mind is Primer. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. The acting in it, not great. Is pretty abysmal. Yeah. Um, it's acted and directed by the same guy. Always never a good start. Yeah. Um, and written by. Which means he's working on no budget, which he wasn't, and it shows. Right, right. Um, so it was very, very low production quality, but a structure that I'm pretty confident everything that needs to be there is there, and everything that is there needs to be. Okay. Um, another example is a, is a another time travel film, actually, because <laughs> um, good time travel films have good structure. Bad mm-hmm. time travel films do not. Um, if time travel is the central conceit of the film. Right. Bill and Ted says a good structure, but not because of the time travel. Mm-hmm. Um, 11 Minutes Ago is a film. Uh, very low budget. Um, takes entirely at a wedding, takes place entirely at a wedding reception in 11-minute chunks. Huh. And it's told from the perspective of a time traveler who can jump back for 11 minutes at a time in, from the... Far future, we don't exactly know when, uh-huh. um, and always ends up in the bathroom at this wedding reception at somebody's house. <laughs> um, and over the and but he takes him like three months between each jump, but he's always jumping to about eleven minutes previous. Oh, okay, um, or thereabouts. And over the course of this evening, he falls in love with a woman, um, but he's going through it in the wrong order. Right, she's going it through linear. He actually ends starts at the end of the party. Okay. At the end of the evening, and jumps back and around, and and it's not a purely linear set of events. Hmm. But it was filmed for exactly no budget. Um, it was filmed in chronological order, in, uh-huh. in chronological order for the party guests. So they uh-huh. started at the beginning and just had a party. Okay. With people who who knew what who knew sort of their roles and stuff like that, and he would jump in the the main the time traveler knowing what his time was and where he was in the in the structure of everything. Right. And everybody else just sort of acting and, and a lot of ad-libbing with them. Um, and it's, it's a really good film okay. um, from a structural standpoint. I really liked it. I really enjoyed it. Okay. Um, okay. Because you see it from his perspective, not from the chronological perspective. Okay. Um, although it was filmed chronologically in like three takes. 
Huh. Um, so with all of that, that was that was really cool. Um, but again, very low production values. Like okay. it was actually filmed at somebody's wedding reception, as far as I know, mm-hmm. or something made to look like somebody's own wedding reception. Um, for quality structure, low quality presentation. Okay, so you would say, Cabin in the Woods, good quality and mm-hmm. good structure. Yes, it has both. Yes, it yeah. has both, and and that's what I like. I like both. Mm-hmm. Um, I can actually, I'll, I'll overlook quality for or, or over structure. I mm-hmm. prefer structure. Um, but being well made certainly helps, and it was and it's incredibly well made film. And I'm getting to the point where, and it, this is only my own fault, mm-hmm. um, because I I can see the lines in the code, so to speak. Yeah. Um, that I enjoy films differently than I used to. Okay. <laughs> um, so let me let me tell you why I enjoyed it. For one thing, um, it's it's been a long time since we've seen something new from Joss Whedon. Right, like yes, really, yes, a, a new product from Joss Whedon. A new product from Joss Whedon, other than the Avengers, and the, which is coming out should, in May second. Right, we should mention the the Alamo Drafthouse pre roll was uh, very heavy on the Joss Whedon, <laughs> mm-hmm. very heavy on the Evil Dead, which I know I haven't seen. It's my own fault. It's actually Evil Dead Two. Everything we saw came from Evil Dead Two. Came from Evil Dead Two. Okay, but uh, it, I just I loved it because you know you, you go in. Uh, I went in having only seen the trailer, and Mm -hmm. I specifically stayed away from spoilers as soon as I started hearing rumblings that this was going to be a really good film. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, all right, I'm not reading any reviews, I'm not talking with anybody who's seen it, it's just, you know, I want to find out why it's so good. Um, And the trailer sort of lets you know that this isn't going to be your typical horror movie. Or or it's going to be your, your, it's going to be a horror movie with this twist. Which is that the you know the kids going into it are sort of going into a more structured sacrificial. Well, there's there's a, a big there's clearly someone pulling the strings. Yes, um, which I think is fairly clear from the trailer. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, structurally, it's also very clear from the first five minutes of the film. <laughs> yeah, um, it, that mean they let you know right off the bat that that you know we're not in Kansas anymore. This is <laughs> there's a conspiracy going on to get these kids to. Wherever this is that they to this that cabin going, in the woods <laughs> to this cabin in the woods and uh, and they, they sort of you know the opening scene was just yes felt so, <laughs> do you think it was intentionally Sorkin-y, or was it just because Bradley Cooper was there that I felt it like didn't it was pretty hurt Sorkin-y. that Bradley Cooper was there there yeah. was some walk and talk there was um, walk and talk I mean, and, and some you know golf cart and talk yeah um, <laughs> so yes <laughs> that's true yeah. Um, I don't know if it was intentionally pulling from Aaron Sorkin's page book or not, uh, because I mean that's that's sort of become while it, while it is you know his more or less trademark style, right? It's been adopted by lots of people. So. Sure, sure. And you know Bradley Cooper's good at it, I'm sure. Yes. And and I just I want to Bradley you, Whitford. Bradley. I Whitford. told you Bradley Cooper a long time ago. Bradley Cooper's the guy from The Hangover. Oh, sorry, Bradley Whitford. Sorry. Yeah, Bradley Cooper is the guy who's in Limitless. Else. Yeah, and it's somebody else. Okay. The Hangover. You said Bradley Cooper. I did. Yeah. I screwed up. I can't well, believe I did that. Um, Bradley Whitford. Okay. Bradley Whitford, who I actually like a lot more than Bradley Cooper. <laughs> yes. And should know his name. Oh, no. Kevin's having a, a movie trivia breakdown. No, I have. Here. I do these. these my, my brain does not store names well. Mm-hmm. Um. But he, I mean, he's just an excellent character in the film. You know, one of the one of the the directors, one one of the puppet masters, as it were. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and uh, I was trying to sort of, I was trying to figure out like, it is very much a meta horror film. You know, it's it's about, you know, what is it about at its core? It's about sacrifice. It's about. I would say it's about overturning the conventions of the world. I mean, what what is. If I had to pick something, and I kind of cheated because I just saw I was reading an interview with Drew Goddard, the director, so I know what he thinks it's about. Okay, um, what does he think it's about? He, he thinks it's about our treatment of young people in society. Okay, um, which is an interesting thought. I think it's about, and again, he's worked on it for a significant portion of time, mm-hmm. whereas I've just seen it once. Um, I think it's about our expectations and our and and perhaps our for lack of a better term um desensitization 
Okay. Um, in that you have this fantastic scene that I, I think was marvelous of the party scene. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> she's back up on the pier, getting attacked by the last zombie, fighting for her life, and you see it on these massive screens. Yeah. And everyone else is having a party in front of it. All these office drone sort of folks yeah. are having a party and completely ignoring what's going on on the screen. They're done with it at this point. Right. It's, it's over. Yeah, they've done their job. Um, Whoop-de-doo. Because yeah. it's not about her or her survival mm-hmm. or even the, the whole, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, the whole group and, and their death. It's not about that. It's about something bigger. Yeah. It's um, about the survival and, of the human and race. And seeing <laughs> that bigger thing and looking and trying to find that bigger thing makes us ignore the little tragedies that are going on huh. that are completely within our power to stop. Hmm. So that's sort of a changing of way of what I think it is. But I think, I think the film is encapsulated in that moment. Hmm. Um, which it is certainly is. I mean, almost it's... smack dab in the middle of the film. Yeah. Um, which, which is about when you want that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you ascribe to the introverted parallelism structure of um, narratives. I don't know what that means. Um, I've always been just had described as... It's, a, it's kind of a Greek thing, apparently. You climb up the mountain. Basically, you have um, uh, opposing but related points at the beginning and end. And then the, the next and next to last are sort of opposing but related... Opposing and or related... Then you know the next and next and next. And next. Okay, so then I can right, see that. right in the middle, then is sort of the meat of the message. You know, you make this, you make this, uh, you know, parable sandwich. I've not, uh, I've not heard it expressed that way, but mm-hmm. I can understand that. I what have you that. expressed? Heard it expressed? Uh, that um, well, I've, I've expressed it myself as boxes within boxes. Yeah. Um, where it's, it's not quite that, um, but because it's rather than, than those parallel points. It's a matter of setting up expectations and paying off expectations. Sure, yeah, foreshadowing. Um, well, well, not I... even just foreshadowing. Um, mm-hmm. Foreshadowing is the most obvious way to do that. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's about selective withholding of information from an audience to, to not necessarily withholding, but, but generating questions within the audience and then answering those questions in a way that they may not have expected, but is still a satisfactory answer. Right. Um, for example, the the opening moments of this are two guys getting coffee from a vending machine. Yeah. And we've just and and the moments before that we saw blood and sacrifice images. Yeah. Um, and then we cut to coffee. Coffee. Two guys talking about coffee. Yeah. And something coming and then, up that's intentionally vague. Right. And so you're sort of your initial question is who are these people? Why are they doing here? And what does this have to do with the images, imagery I just saw? Yeah. And we get answers to these questions, and they're not necessarily the answers that we would have expected. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's usually good. If, if it's the answer you expected, we call that predictable. Right. If it's an answer that's satisfactory but not necessarily expected, that's, that's surprising. If it's an answer that we didn't expect but makes perfect sense once we look back... Mm-hmm. It is the right answer. Okay. Um, and so a, a narrative structure, and this is actually stuff I talk about in my thesis, so you, know, okay. you wanted to talk about what I know. Yeah. This is what I know. All right. Um, Let's hear it. A well-structured film, um, to give you a better, uh, not a better, a different and more precise definition, sets up those questions and answers them in a way that is not expected but makes perfect sense mm-hmm. without the audience even knowing it. Right, um, and it's okay if they do know it. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't have to be a bad thing. But often the audience isn't aware of their expectations mm-hmm. until after the fact. And well, one of the expectations I had going in, one of the questions I had going in, was okay. I'm expecting this to be something more than your run of the mill horror mm-hmm. film. What is that going to look like? You mm-hmm. know, what is going to be the way in which this is unique, different, satisfying? Yeah. And, and this is not the first ever film to do something like that. What are some other examples? Um, well, one, one is not a film, but it was an episode of a TV series, was Supernatural. Hmm. Um, did you ever watch Supernatural? No, I didn't. It's a good show. Um, I'm just finishing up season two right now. But towards the end of season two, they, the, the two brothers, who are the main characters, visit a movie set of 
a Cabin in the Woods film being produced. <laughs> and the Cabin in the Woods film is a is a well-known trope. Right. Uh, we saw examples of it actually in the trailers they were showing in sure. the pre-roll uh, draft house. So all that, you know, is sort of there. Um, and, they, and they used that to comment on that structure itself. Okay. Um, other examples of horror movie subversions... Um, Scream is a great example. Okay. The Scream franchise as a whole is very much about horror movies. You know, Scream explains to you within the first portion of the film, if you're in a horror movie, here are the three rules you don't break unless you want to die. Right. Don't and split up. No, it's actually, you know, in Scream, the, they are, um, don't have sex, <laughs> uh, don't drink or do drugs. Those are, those are all sins that will, that will get you killed. Right. Um, not directly necessarily. Uh, never say, I'll be right back. You won't be right back. Hmm. Um, I don't remember what the third one was. Or the, I, I may have put those in the wrong order. Hmm. Um, but And then everybody who subverts those, and so they, they lay it out for you, and then everybody who breaks those rules dies by the end of the film. Right. Um, I just Something just yeah, occurred yeah. to me, and I, I didn't want to let it go. There were hints within the... Um, the kind of the, the panicked discussions that went on uh, among the actual workers and this mm-hmm. this sacrifice incorporated the fact that the bridge didn't explode, the fact that the fool Marty uh, kind of came onto everything, mm-hmm. you know, that he was supposed to have been you know dragged out of his mind and mm-hmm. you know doing other things. There was a lot of stuff that hints at the fact that someone involved in the scenario wanted this to fail this time yes um there is and there the there there are strong hints that it's the security guard you're set up to think that because he's questioning all of this stuff that's going on yeah that may be too obvious he's just new right yeah but no if you, if you watch if you listen to the music that was playing with him like they were clearly setting him up to be a a potential and not necessarily the guy mm-hmm. um but they they were sort of him questioning these things and not wanting to bet and being very straight-laced in the whole situation whereas everybody's much more relaxed. But if you recall, he ends up actually buying them time at the end by setting off a grenade as he's No, I know he does. I know he does. Belt, you know? And, 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 that's, yeah. and that's the end of his arc. Right. In that he really was dedicated to his purpose. Right. Even though we were suspecting that was not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's fine. That's great. Um, that, that works. That's his arc is complete. Right. What about the chemistry person... Again, there are these sort of these setups yeah. of, you know, who is it this? And, and it's making you ask these questions. Could it mm-hmm. be her? Could it be him? What's going on? It turns out it was none of those. It was... Who do you think it was? I think it was the pothead. Just figured it out. Yeah. Okay. Figured it out, got dragged away, uh, ended up in that hole, or escaped, you know, dismembered the zombie yeah. with a trowel, <laughs> and started pulling wires, mm. and I, I don't know that he intentionally kept the thing from blowing up. Which, because of, um, by the way, it, it just, it struck me at the time, but I remember, because of the trailer, we knew that Marty survives past yes. that scene. Although I kind of questioned that. I was like, would they show something different in the trailer to... And the answer is, yes, they would do that. see you? Yeah, that um, wouldn't be the first time. But because he survives, I thought about it in this way, that... There's sort of a rumbling that happens when they send the blood down from his death. Yes, and I'm like, mm, okay. I don't think he's dead. <laughs> I, I think I know why. It's it's because it's either it's the blood from the zombie or yeah. It, it could else. be any number of things. That, but that was yeah. yes. His when he died, something went wrong. Yes, or when he air quote died, something went wrong because he didn't. Yes, um, and so all of that stuff is is very much foreshadowed, and and foreshadowing is the wrong word, mm-hmm. but is very is very much set up. Those are questions: who would who would keep the thing from exploding, or why mm-hmm. didn't it explode? And at first we think it's a technical glitch, but then we know it's intentional. Right. So who would keep that from happening? Um, who would put the button to release all of the evil creatures? Right. There? I think that one's a little <laughs> trickier, and, see, that's, and that's a question that wasn't answered. Yeah. Um, <laughs> At least not in the viewing that we watched. There may have been a, a clearer answer as to why we got to there. I don't think it's there, but no, I've only seen it once. It's well. Um, it, I think that was just one of those Deus Ex Machina things. A little that, bit. A little bit. You know, because there's a there's a code on the door for them to get to the ancient part of the facility uh-huh. that takes them forever to break. 
And yet there's no code protection whatsoever. Well, for... the door was open because the guard came in to shoot them and they killed him first. Mm-hmm. And so he left the door open. That's, okay. there's, there's a justification there if you want to make it. Right. Um, because you saw the door open. You saw them come in through the open door then they closed it. That's true. Uh, and the place was empty, so the obvious idea is that he came out of there to shoot him in the face. Yeah. Um, uh, my, that's my thought. Yeah. Um, that's my justification after the fact. Right. Um, so, but no, so those, those sorts of questions of, you know, the rumbling, which didn't happen previously, it only happened on his death, and didn't happen after that on somebody else's death. Yeah. Um, you said, why did it rumble then? Mm-hmm. Why did it rumble? Why right. did it rumble then? Why didn't the thing explode? These are questions, and then as soon as those are answered by the appearance of Marty, is that his name? Yeah. Marty. The appearance of Marty then clicks and says, oh, that's what it was. Oh, it wasn't an internal sabotage, um, necessarily. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's why it rumbled, perhaps. So we're getting these answers, and they weren't necessarily what, we, what you were set up to expect the answers to be. Mm-hmm. You're kind of, you are kind of set up to think that someone is pulling strings from the inside, because we see this internal bickering and this confusion going on with, with Amy Acker and with the security card. Mm-hmm. The actress's name, because I don't know her character's name. Yeah. Um, so again, it sets up those questions and answers them, not necessarily in ways you expect. No, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's, yeah. one, that's one thing that was just sort of hanging in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like how the... I, I love the way that the film used so many horror movie tropes, but in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, the, it, quite honestly, the hand coming out of the ground right at the end, yeah, the giant, yeah. giant hand of the ancients, you know, like that was... That's a callback to very every horror movie. I mean, most, every, mo- yeah. most particularly Carrie yeah. um, was sort of, I think, the definer of that. But. And, it's, and especially to earlier in the film when one of the Buckners, you know, butts the out. Hand comes you know, out. Yes. The hand comes out, yes. So. To destroy the world. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's using a, a, the visual language of, of horror films. Yes. And quite well. Mm-hmm. Um, you, know, you see the hand reach up and grasp, and that's the beginning. I love that the title, you know, is a jump scene in a way. It's a jump it, cut. It's yeah. a jump cut. Yeah. <laughs> that just... It makes you go, oh! Yeah, and then you're like, at that moment, you know exactly what you're in for. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're... <laughs> uh, yeah, there's just... Oh, man. I, I'm curious, though. Um, uh, the, the redhead, the virgin, uh-huh. quote. Is she really a virgin? Because there's the thing right at the beginning of the film about her and the professor... About them having relations, but maybe I don't think it matters. It doesn't matter because because the director goes, "We work with what we've got." Right, the Susan and Sarandon it's about character. it's about creating those archetypes. Yeah, Susan, Susan Sarandon. It's oh, it's not. It's um, uh, yeah, it is. No, it's not. Who is it then? The director. No, the 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 person down below with the gloves that confronts them at the end. Yeah, really. Sigourney Weaver. Sigourney Weaver, sorry. Uh, it's been a while. Sure, I may not know who Bradley Whitford is, but okay. I know who Sigourney Weaver is. All right, Kevin, you win. Anyways, Sigourney Spoiler Weaver. Alert. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, really? <laughs> if you're listening to the episode at this point, you've already seen the movie, or you don't care about the thing that we said at the beginning, which is don't see the movie. We said see the movie, don't or listen to see this. It, see it, but see it without spoilers. Whatever. No, that's one of the things she says. Yeah, we work with what we've got, and part of their chemical altering of the mm-hmm. characters is to make them into those archetypes. Yeah, yeah. Whatever gases, whatever things they expose to the different characters mm-hmm. turns them into someone other than what they are. Like, the characters discuss at one point, why is the, the guy turning into this meathead? You yeah, know? yeah. He's, he's a sociology he's major. He's a sociology major, you know, yeah. But he becomes that archetype. Uh-huh. You know, the blonde, she all of a sudden becomes this really, you know, this, this whore, basically. Yeah, I mean, that, that's what they wanted her to be. Yeah. I and mean, that's... Um, well, and you, and you notice, and I think it's really interesting because it was a subtle thing they did. Mm-hmm. Um, the other guy who start who he put on glasses once he'd been in the cabin for a while. Yeah, it's a real uh, subtle thing. I did not pick. Up I, know, on I totally that. picked up on it because yeah. he's wearing glasses, and then um, once you see him back in the RV right before he dies, he's no longer wearing them because they're sort of at this point they're starting to break the trend. They're breaking the, the convention. Yeah. Oh, but no, he's he's wearing glasses and he's got a button up and it's it's one of those subtler things and they call him and 
the, the egghead. They call him egghead. Oh, the scholar, right? Yeah, because yeah. yeah, they needed the scholar archetype. Yeah. And so that was one where it wasn't, they couldn't maybe match quite what they wanted it to be, but he was definitely in that wheelhouse, in that mm-hmm. area. Um, Do you think the first indication of that transformation was the mirror? Possibly. Right? Um, like that was that was a decision he might not have made otherwise, mm-hmm. right? Sure. Huh. Definitely possible. Um. <laughs> so what what is the message then about the about Marty's character discovering everything? It's the magical power of weed or something. No, I don't think that's it. I think it was um, maybe that's the irony, right? Is well, no, there's there's a subversion of that in that that's not who the, the he's not the action hero, right? Well, the pothead is actually the most insightful of all of them. That's yeah. the ultimate irony, right? Yeah, I guess. Um, and there's there's certainly hints of that, and they show his his character as that sort of a person to begin with, with his crazy conspiracy theories, like oh, another Marty rant. Yeah. Um, so they sort of. They set up that's the sort of person he is to begin with, is, is seeing uh-huh. these things. Well, they sort of, the, the characters sort of play it off as being, uh, you know, just a pothead. Yeah. And, and although it's possible he really is, you know, you know the, the point about, you know, a cop's not going to pull over somebody with a giant bong in their car <laughs> makes a certain amount of sense. Um, <laughs> I guess. That's a crazy person right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean,. It also didn't. I mean, it was also a camouflaged bong. It was meant to yeah. look like a coffee cup, which was fantastic. That was um, so so. Yeah, that was good. Weedenesque. I, I would say that's very Weedenesque. You yeah. know, yeah. Things unconventional things being weapons. That's very much a Weeden trope. Yeah, he's definitely done that. Yeah. Um, no. So if anything, his the Marty was a subversion of, and I want to say a subversion of sort of the action hero type. Right. Um, Although that's interesting because it's been subverted a lot hmm. already. Um, we were talking Evil Dead. Ash Williams, or Ashley Williams is his full name, yeah. is the Bruce Campbell character. I mean, when you first see him in Evil Dead, you don't think he's going to be the one that survives to the end. Hmm. Um, unless you know Bruce Campbell is famous because of the Evil Dead movies yeah, and, and yada, yeah. yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Um, but he's sort of the nerdy one. Um, and that's and that's been done a lot. There's a there's a film called Feast, which is not a great horror film, okay, um, by a long shot. But it was made as part of the um, Project Greenlight series. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with the Project Greenlight series. Well, a little bit. It's a TV was... show lasted for three seasons. Each season, they took somebody's script and made it into a movie. Yeah, um, and filmed that process. And all of the movies were very unsuccessful. Okay. Um, for various reasons. But, um, <laughs> Do you think part of the fact that they were scrutinized throughout the entire process was contributing no, to that? No, I don't think that was it. Huh. Um, I think, sometimes I think giving somebody a lot of money with very little experience in Hollywood can be a bad idea. <laughs> um, although, to be fair, Feast got two sequels, <laughs> which, okay. is, so, which makes it the most successful of any Project Greenlight film. <sighs> Um, yeah, Feast Sloppy Seconds and Feast the Final Course. Hmm. Um, but within that, they, they bring in a character who is meant to be the burly hero and kill him off within ten minutes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So that's, yeah. that's sort of... But that's obviously subverting the archetype. Yeah. For, speaking of subverting archetypes, mm-hmm. um, one of the things I asked you about was how... Well, one of the things I asked Neil about, sorry, my, my friend Neil Miller, who's uh, he, he's one of the writers at Film School Rejects, I asked him how it compares to Tucker and Dale versus Evil, hmm. which is uh, which has Alan. I've Tudyk, seen it. Yeah, I've seen it. Uh, from also from the the Whedon verse. Yes, uh, as well as some other people that uh, I don't I didn't recognize. He's had, the only one I recognize. It had socks from or sock from Reaper. Okay, was the other one other hillbilly. Yeah, um, that movie is essentially a comedy of errors, also with the cabin in the woods trope. Mm-hmm. But what it what it does. It subverts the horror movie genre in a different way. Right? Yes, because it makes it about there's no there's the evil force is not what you think. There is no evil force out to get you. It turns well, out to be. Uh, you say, you know, I mean, uh, also spoiler alert for Tucker and Dale versus Evil. In that movie, it turns out to be one of the quote victims. Yes. And then it becomes Which I was I was a little dissatisfied with. Um, it, it felt a little a little odd, but. It was different. Yeah, it, it was different. Was. I saw it coming from a mile away, of course, but... Telegraphed. It, yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that film was... I don't know. I, would you say it was well-structured? No, I liked it. Um, yeah. 
it was not as well structured as Cabin in the Woods. Right. Um, but it it did what it tried to do pretty well, which pretty was, well, yeah. you know, create these interlocking narratives mm-hmm. that, from the perspective of the characters, could be read differently. Read yeah. Read differently. Yeah. Sometimes to a fault. So, sometimes very forced. Yeah. Very forced sometimes style. it was funny though. Yeah. There were there were other times where it was pretty subtle. You know, yeah. the the misinterpretations that happened. But yeah. other times we've got it's just your like, friend. We've got your friend. Like, uh, yeah. I liked that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's write it on the log. Yeah. Um, the the whole you know kids killing themselves thing was I think a little bit. Yeah, but. <laughs> See that that was absurd enough that it worked for me. That kid jumping into the wood chipper. Yeah, that was. <laughs> that worked for me. Oh, uh, yeah, just just being hilarious. But again, you know, very similar tropes, completely different movie, completely yeah. different oh, structure. Yeah, so it really shows just the variety of mm-hmm. films that can be made with these with these same tropes over and over and over again. I'm really curious to see, you know, you talk about movies with good structure and mm-hmm. well-produced, and they tend to be time travel movies, how Looper is going to turn out. This I have is... high hopes for Looper. Okay. Um, I I'll tell you why. I saw the first trailer for it, and from, from what I've seen, people who say I've seen screening say the trailer doesn't, the trailer makes it look like a less complex film than it actually is. I, I don't care about the trailer. What okay. I care about is Brick. Uh, which is... The movie made by the guy before this movie. Okay. Um, also starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Okay. Brick is a fantastic film. Okay. So and I and it, that so will... You, have, that. you haven't seen Brick? No, I know. What? Here, look. Yeah. Let's make a list. Uh, Movies Stephen needs to see. We should just go to my apartment and just pull DVDs. Yeah, this is right. our homework for the next week. I know, right? Um, see Brick before you see Evil Dead. Okay. You need to see Brick. And if, once you see Brick, you'll go, you know what? I don't care what he does with Looper. It's going to be good. <laughs> it's going to be good. Okay. Because <laughs> um, Brick is a film that is is not a time travel movie, but incredibly well-structured. Mm-hmm. Again, it's sort of those creation of questions and answering of them in unexpected ways. Okay. Um, so, yeah, Brick's really good. I don't know if I made it, but... I heard he was making another movie, and that was all I needed to know. I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm there. Yeah. It's like Duncan Jones making another movie. He made Moon, and, and I saw that, and I'm like, okay, whatever he makes next, I'm on board what is for. What he making next? Uh, he made Source Code. Oh, right, yeah. Did you see That's, it? Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. I think we saw it. No. No? I saw it on TV. Okay. I, I downloaded it, or not Something. illegally. I, oh, no. I, no I, on, I definitely, that was one of the first Draft House films I went to see, I think. No, I got it from Redbox. I got a free uh, code for a movie from Redbox, and I got it. Okay. Um, yeah, Source Code was excellent and very well structured. It yeah. was it was the exact type of movie I would have expected Duncan Jones to make with more money. Because <laughs> Moon was good, but mm-hmm. it lacked completion in the in the production well, side of things. I don't think, think so. I think it, I think it fit. Um, I think the sparseness benefited the film. Moon is an actor's movie. To the, yeah. Moon is, an, is all about the actor. Mm-hmm. The story is secondary. Um, Moon is very much about the, the person playing the role whose name I don't remember. Rolls, uh, yeah. Spoilers! Um, what? No, that's obvious from the... Okay, maybe not. We're just spoiling all kinds of movies today, um, folks. Just letting you know. I guess Duncan Moon is a few years old, though. Although I don't think... I think it was intentionally hidden from the audience, although I don't think it needed to be hmm. um, in the trailers and things like that. When was Brick made? 2006. Okay. Um, wrong. Okay. Oh, wait, no, no, that's, that may be, okay. Yeah, I'm trying to find it on here. Uh, no, doesn't look like it. 2005? 2005. 2005. It, w- it won uh, Oscar in 2006, right? I don't think it won an Oscar. I thought it won some sort of an Academy probably, Award or something. I I would be shocked if it won an Academy Award. Really? But not that it doesn't deserve I'm it. I'm pretty sure it did. I'm pulling up the wiki. Really, pretty sure it did. Not that it doesn't deserve it because it was a great film. Yeah. Um, awards. Uh, Sundance Special Jury Prize. Oh, is it is it sci-fi? No. No. It's noir. Noir. Hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, there's no Academy Award on here. I don't know where you're getting that from. Okay. You know, uh, Brick is a noir film set in a high school. Hmm. Um, oh, no. 
One or more files exceed the file system size limit. Hmm. Well, maybe I can download it to the actual system. It won some awards, definitely. Uh, won most promising director for Rian Johnson. Huh. At the Chicago Film Critics Association Awards. Okay. It won the uh, Special Jury Prize Dramatic for Originality of Vision at the Sundance Film Festival. Hmm. Um, what else did it win? Citizen Kane Award for Best Directorial Revelation at the Festival de Cine de Cicero. <laughs> Uh, Central Ohio Film Critics Association Award won Best Overlooked Film and Best Original Screenplay. Huh. Those are the awards it won. It was nominated for other stuff, but... So, all things considered then, I mean, Brick, or not Brick, but uh, Cabin in the Woods mm-hmm. definitely deserves its uh, 92, I think it's currently a 92% of yeah, Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, oh, definitely. It's, is it the best film of the year so far? Oh, what else came out this year? Um, let's see. Gosh, that question shouldn't go right through my brain. Well, Hunger Games is still sitting at an 84% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. Um, Here, I got a 2012 in film on Wikipedia. Okay. (laughs) This is why the internet exists. Wow. Um, And I'm really not sure if the prosthetic that they did for uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt makes him look more like Bruce Willis. (laughs) It changes his nose significantly. His brow. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Are these going to be in alphabetical order? Because it's going to be terrible. <laughs> uh, no, they're opening. Uh, they're in chronological. Okay. I'm just. I'm just scanning. I'm not skimming. Yeah. I don't know. Ghost Rider: Spirit of Vengeance came out. Definitely among the top films of 2012. Uh, John Carter, which I still haven't seen, mm. has a shot. Uh, Hunger Games. Wrath of the Titans. Uh, I guess of the films that have been out, that are currently out, yeah, the rest of these are all yeah. in the future. I'm comfortable saying the big, best wide release film. Yeah. That's that's not a stretch at this point. Mind you, we're still in April, so there's lots of good stuff to come. There out. is. I mean, we're we're going to have a pretty damn good summer. So on the horizon, of course, Avengers mm-hmm. very soon. Um, also, Joss Whedon. Also, Joss Whedon. I mean, this is is this the Although year? He, he he's director and writer. He did not direct Cabin in the Woods. I think I think that's worth mentioning. Okay. Because I think it, I think Drew Goddard deserves a fair share of praise for this film. Okay. He co-wrote it with Whedon and he directed it. But you, like you said, he worked on Angel, so he got. He's worked on other stuff since then. He, he wrote Cloverfield. Oh, really? Yeah. So I'm. I'm. Oh, that explains the monsters a lot. Yeah. I'm I'm more than comfortable saying this is a Drew Goddard film. It actually says that in the credits. A film by Drew Goddard. Okay. And I'm 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 of the opinion you know he ought to get that credit. So, mm-hmm. but written and was, produced by Joss Whedon. It was Whedon-esque and yeah. co-written. The the dialogue, co-written. the dialogue, the beats of the story, very Whedon, extremely Whedon. Like you can you can feel his fingerprint over the whole thing. Uh, the strong female character, very Whedon, right? Yes and no. Also a trope of the genre. The final girl is the final virgin is the trope above all tropes of horror films. Of horror films, okay. Going back to Jamie Lee Curtis and Halloween, mm-hmm. which invented the slasher genre. Oh right, yeah. Okay. <laughs> the, the horror movie, as we envision it, does not exist before that. The slasher film mm-hmm. does not exist before that. Yeah. In the same point. way, and and that created. Yet that, that is still very up Whedon's alley. Yes, it's not a bad thing, mm-hmm. but that's what it is. <laughs> Uh, we got Brave coming out. That could be exciting. Yeah. I'm really? still not excited about Brave. I'm sorry. I've seen multiple trailers, and I'm like, Ehh. it's Pixar, man. Yeah, but so was Cars two. You pretend Cars two doesn't exist. It, it does. No, nope, no, that it doesn't. Nullifies your argument. Dark Knight Rises comes out this yeah, year. Yeah, exactly. We got Dark Knight Rises coming. We got Prometheus coming. We which, got Neighborhood Watch, which all um, all promotion has stopped for. Really. Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. That's, but that shouldn't be. I mean, they have nothing to do with each other. Doesn't matter, man. Oh, that's, I would want to see it even more as a result. Do you know what Neighborhood Watch is about? 
Is it about a neighborhood watch guy who goes rampant or no. and kills people? No. It's about aliens invading a neighborhood and the neighborhood watch guy is trying to protect everybody. Oh, well, there Think you go. attack the block, but in suburbia. Uh, okay. But the trailers don't show that. <laughs> You know what the trailers show? The, the, the one trailer that's been premiered? Uh-huh. The four stars of the film, including um, Ben Stiller and some other people, Kevin James may be in it. Uh-huh. Um, I may be lying about Kevin James. Driving you know, to gangster rap slowly in their car and you know, in suburban highway, in uh-huh. suburban, not highway, suburban neighborhood. Um, and Ben Stiller, I'm pretty sure it's Ben Stiller, um, points a finger gun at a small child and goes, bang! Oh, that's... Okay, so... <sighs> Dang. I mean, it sucks for them. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> the fact that real life got in the way, that happens. Poor um, Ben Stiller. But then... Uh, oh. Yeah, Ben so, Stiller, Vince Vaughn, Jonah Hill, who I was thinking of instead of, and Will Forte. That's just incredibly unlucky. It is. It is incredibly unlucky for them. <laughs> I feel bad, but... Uh, How... Okay, I, here's what I don't get. How does the... 3D remake of Titanic have an 87%. People love Titanic, dude. I guess I'd never seen the film. It's okay. It's not it's, great. I mean, that's it's on the same great. level as Avatar. Yeah. Like, eh, technically no, incredible. No. Keep in mind but, that Rotten Tomatoes is not a measure of how good a film is. It is a measure like of how many... No, it is a measure of how many people said it was a good film. Mm. But there's a pretty close correlation. Not uh, it, it, actually, it's not because if you if you compare it to like Metacritic, for example, The Muppets, okay. a film we both saw together, um, had something like a 92 or 96 percent Rotten Tomatoes rating. Mm-hmm. The Metacritic rating was a lot closer to the 70 range. Oh, hmm. so everybody liked it, but everybody gave it. A B plus, oh, okay. or you know, B minus, C plus. And Rotten Tomatoes does not take that into account. No, they say they they're either positive or negative. And so lots of people liked it, but a lot of people kind of went, eh. Okay, so Metacritic, for instance, has Cabin in the Woods at a 72. Yeah. I can see that. Um, hmm. So, yeah, it, it, the Cabin in the Woods, or no, Metacritic is the weighted vote, whereas right. Rotten Tomatoes is, is a percentage of how many people enjoyed this film. Hmm. And thus, how likely are you potentially to enjoy this film? Not a rating of how much you will enjoy the film. Yeah. Uh, That's funny that Metacritic doesn't have the raid on here. It's not in wide release yet. Uh, even under the limited release. Oh, really? Now in theaters. Yeah, it doesn't hmm. have it on here. Um, oh, Resident oh, there Evil it is. Retribution comes out. The raid, so the raid and Cabin in the Woods both have a 73. Or Cabin in the Woods 72, raid yeah. 73. But yeah, I would agree. Both are of about the same... Enjoyability. Mm-hmm. I honestly like those two films are the ones I've seen in the last couple weeks. Those have been the most enjoyable movies I've seen yet this year. Well, Looper does come out this year. I didn't realize that. It does. It comes out in a few months, doesn't it? Uh, September. September. Oh, okay. Twenty eighth. Oh, but here's the thing. I mean, this is going to be an incredible year for movies. You got so we're starting off great with Cabin in the Woods. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got Dark Knight Rises coming. We've got Prometheus. They made Taken 2. What? They made Taken 2. What? Taken to where? You know Taken? Yeah. AKA Liam Neeson kills a bunch of dudes. Oh my god. Well, I mean, they've already made sequels to Liam Neeson kills a bunch of dude movies repeatedly. Yes, but this one's the official sequel. Okay, fine. (laughs) Anyways, Dark Knight Rises, Prometheus. You've got Looper, of course, coming later. And. Capping it all off with a uh, with a, the cherry known as the Hobbit. I mean, it's gonna be. I'm not super excited about the Hobbit. Oh, how can you not be? I'm not. I was not super excited about the Lord of the Rings movies. Ah, uh, okay. So that would be like well made, but not well structured. I've not analyzed them structurally speaking. Okay. Um, you should do that. I don't have twelve hours to spend. Hmm. Okay, fine. <laughs> I have other things I would rather be doing. Well, I'm surprised you haven't already, just from recollection. Um, I I I don't recall them that well. The last time I saw them was my when they came junior out. Junior year, no, junior year of, uh, yeah. of college. Huh. So four years ago now, um, my roommates did a, a marathon of all, not a marathon, a true marathon, but they did. They watched all three of the extended editions over time. Yeah. Um, I I. 
liked them, mm-hmm. but I did not love them. I, and I didn't love the books either. Okay. Um, I'm and I'm okay with that. I don't feel like less of a nerd because I don't like certain things. <laughs> um, but no, I did. I, you know, I, Kevin Smith's description of them was a little bit reductive. Yeah, right. but only a little bit. <sighs> okay. <laughs> yes. We've all seen Clerks too. I hope. But you know, he premiered that actually in Evening with Kevin Smith. Too. Oh, really? Yeah. And so then he made the joke in. And Clerks then he made too. he put the joke into Clerks too. Yeah. Um, but he actually did that at, at uh, Evening with Kevin Smith too in that yeah. film, <laughs> which is just funny. Yeah, I still need to see those. Okay. Well, I, I think we've uh, we've pretty well covered it. It's you know I, I really want to do this sort of structural analysis on all films that deserve it. I, I think <laughs> the the great another great thing about the film is it has very wide appeal. You can analyze it on these deep structural levels, but you can also enjoy it. You as just a, want to see kids get killed. Well, or <laughs> you know the the justice that comes about from seeing the the sacrifice incorporated soldiers ripped yeah. to shreds by their yeah. own evil captors you know, or captives. You know, it's, <coughs> it, it's, there's a little bit of a payoff yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. You know? And I, I still, I kind of felt bad for for Hanley or whatever the. Um, uh, Bradley Whitten's character, Whitford. Whitford's character, ah, Whit something, um, <laughs> gets killed by the very thing that he's always wanted to see kill the kids, uh, and it's just it's a wonderful. Yeah, that of was, course, yeah. that was a very Whedon esque moment right there. <laughs> well, you knew this was going to come out of the fog. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. It's good. It was good. Yeah. So uh, definitely, if well, gosh. Uh, if you've listened to this episode before seeing Cabin in the Woods, it's going to be a be little bit of a diminished <laughs> well, I experience. I don't know that... And again, because I I enjoy films differently than other people. Yeah. I, I've sort of... I've been coming to this realization recently that I, I enjoy films differently than other people. It's not a bad thing, but yeah. I can enjoy a film on a structural level, even knowing everything that's going to happen within it. And sometimes I enjoy it more. Mm-hmm. I've been recently... Um, on and off again. Amy's been going through Angel for the first time, and I've been watching it with her occasionally. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm around, and I do this thing that she finds really annoying, where I pretend like I don't know what's happening or what's going to happen next. <laughs> um, and she doesn't always find it as amusing as I do. But I don't just do it just to be <laughs> obtuse and amusing. But you know, I, I but you're getting I'm her analyzing. No, I'm analyzing it oh, from okay. that perspective. Um, of you know, and and saying, okay, well, what do I what do I think is going to happen next? You know, what are the possibilities here mm-hmm. versus what I actually know is going to happen? And sometimes I don't always remember what's going to happen. I know I remember the high points. It's been years since I've seen all of Angel in a row, mm. um, so I remember some of the high points. But it's it's beneficial both. Kind of like the story we talked about a while ago uh, about spoiling stories can actually make people enjoy them more. Yeah. Um, because you you go in because you're you, it you, more, you're yeah. looking at it in that perspective and you say well if I know this character is going to die by the end mm-hmm. I'm going to read this differently yeah um, or I'm going to see this differently which is why I mean knowing that Marty was going to live at least to a later point in the film mm-hmm. I still wasn't exactly sure how they would end it up how they yeah. would conclude it no I was I was there. I was interested in what they would do um, knowing that because I didn't know that yeah um, I was interested in how they were going to get there because his death seemed fairly definitive yeah. Yeah. You know, the the fact that the guy with his dying breath says kill him, you know. And, and initially you're like, oh, it means they're going to co- kill the bad guy. Wait, no. <laughs> That's not what he's employing her, employing her to do. Kill him. Anyways, um, we will just do one form squeeze question today. We actually have had someone go post a bunch of really thoughtful questions on here that we could pretty much make into an episode. Thanks, Random Stranger. Yeah, thanks, Random Stranger. We'll get to your questions eventually, but we're actually just going to cop out and answer the form screen question of the day, which is, do you ever watch movies more than once? Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes intentionally, so I can... I, I don't remember the last film I watched... And I have to watch this again immediately. Um, I've never actually done that. That's mm-hmm. not true. I once watched Top Gun three times in a row. Wow. Um, to be fair, I was like 10. Um, it was a sleepover. Oh, okay. But we watched it, and then he said, let's watch it again. And I said, okay. And then we watched it, and he said, let's watch it again. And Just we watched one other it. guy? Yeah, That's... I was like sleeping over to a guy's house. Okay, and that you was the only that. thing that y'all wanted to do was well, no, I, I did a sleepover and watched Empire Strikes Back, which 
Yeah. I also had a sleepover where I did that. Yeah, you never, yeah. you didn't, you never used to like the, you know, have a guy spend the night or spend the night at somebody's house. Yeah, I mean, I did do that, but I mean, not watching the same movie. Yeah, I thought it was a little weird. Again. I yeah. don't know. I thought it was weird at the time, but I definitely think it's weird now. Yeah, well, you had no expectation at the time. I guess. Yeah. So you're just like, oh, I guess some people do this. So yeah, interesting. Alrighty. Well, we thank you all for listening. Uh, definitely give us your, your comments and your take on the film if you've seen it. Uh, you can post on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash badphilosophy. You can also, you know, drop us a tweet on the Twitter webs, twitter.com slash badphilosophy. And, uh, you know, tweet at either of us, of course, uh, twitter.com slash kevsond and twitter.com slash s-t-o-r-r-e-n-c-e. Yeah. Kind of thinking about how I would want to die from... Cabin in the Woods, I would probably pick the falling death of the uh, of the meathead. Well, I don't know. Of the stuff on the, the chart, I was trying to figure out which one I would like the most. Mm. Um, like as who would kill you or yeah, who do you yeah. want to get? Yeah. Um, I don't want to go back to that page. I just want to know. I, I guess I would want to be killed by Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> it's on the chart, people. Look it is it on up. the chart. Um, and we'll see you next time on Bad Philosophy. And now for something completely different. I actually will be quite interested to, after you've seen Game of Thrones, to talk about that. I'm reading the book right now. Okay. Because there are, and I'm watching through the series with someone who has read the books. Mm. And it's interesting to have him kind of add background to some of the characters and exposition on Mm -hmm. them and elaboration. And then show, point out where the show makes structural... Deviations. Yeah, choices and deviations. Yeah, I had, for the I had characters. A, so I saw the first half of the first series on a free weekend. Oh, okay. Um, I was at home. And we so got, you've seen a little bit of it. What, yeah. what did you think of that much of it? I liked it. I think yeah. it's good. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it is the extreme example of, and this is not necessarily a good or bad statement, but it is the extreme example of the novels on TV phenomenon, not or TV as a novel. Okay. Um, which has good and bad things about it. Hmm. Um, the show does not feel like it has episodes. No. Um, and I don't it's know, just one continuous I don't know story. if you read, I think it was Tom Vanderwerf um, who wrote a thing sort of about the defense of the episode. Hmm. Um, and, and that TV is an episodic medium and, and sometimes we lose sight of that. Mad Men is good about doing that. Mad Men's pretty good still about it. Mad Men's pretty good story. about it. Um, he blamed the Sopranos sort of as the as the first breaker of that, and, okay. and going from and I know I've not seen much of Sopranos, so I don't have a large take on it. Mm-hmm. I have the seen idea any of being it. Is, um, it, is it worth watching? You think? So I've heard. Okay, um, but that you know, Sopranos was was hailed as as novelistic television, mm-hmm. um, and and as was The Wire. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, The Wire was very Dickensian. Yeah, um, I saw an interesting comparison. The Wire is to Dickens as The Shield is to Shakespeare. Um, okay. And I have only seen the first season of The Shield, so I can't make a full comparison yet. But I can hmm. kind of see where they're doing, where they're going with that. Um, in that The Shield is much more pop art. Okay. Popular entertainment. It's, it's brutal and fast and it chugs along. Um, okay. Whereas Dickens is meandering, and The Wire is sort of meandering, and it's telling a complete story, and it's building a world. Mm-hmm. But Shakespeare cares less, cares less about building a world as he does creating situations with characters and getting thing. through them. Yeah. Um, huh. In an interesting way. And again, I've also in the first season of The Shield, so I don't know that. But I thought it was a really interesting setup because I really like The Shield. Yeah. Um, I don't know that I would put it next to The Wire as. I mean, you you can't help compare them. Because they're both gritty, realistic cop shows, yeah. but very differently done. Um, huh. And though I understand that the shield sticks with the cops the whole time, whereas the wire slowly expanded its worldview to cover everything in the world, <laughs> aka Baltimore, yeah, um, which is in fact everything in the world. Hmm. Um, and season three of the wire was apparently an Iraq War metaphor. Really? Yeah. I didn't get that when I was watching it, but was it uh, was that the one where they did Amsterdam? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Uh, so, I don't know. That was apparently what it was part of the subtext there. Green zones and, yeah. Uh, what was... Huh. 
Oh yeah, but no. So I I've, I enjoyed the wire, not the wire, uh, Game of Thrones. Um, so what I saw, we got the first half. Oh, one thing I, I did think that was kind of interesting was, and this is a weird thing, the death of Lady the Direwolf. Uh huh. Um, handled entirely off screen in the book. Really? Mm-hmm. It's talked about and it's mentioned, and you sort of and and it's only after the fact that you realize that she was killed and that Nymeria ran away. Uh. Um. And Ned talks to his daughter about it and about how she got him to leave or her to leave. Huh. Um, which that scene is actually in the series as far as I remember. But the actual, that moment was in the story secondhand in the novel and firsthand in the film or the huh. show. Um, but, you know, I do think, I think Game of Thrones is not an episodic TV show, um, which is good and bad because... It's much easier to watch in marathon mode. Yeah. Um, and that's exactly how I did watch it. That's how everybody watches it. I mean, other, yeah. other people who are watching it weekly as it happens, which is a large number of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, we did. We had to do two episodes at a time to, yeah, like, and that's, just feel like it's more continuous. Because, because is, yeah. an episode is meant to be a self-contained unit. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently Breaking Bad does this fairly well. I haven't watched a lot of Breaking Bad. I'm still not there. Of, of keeping things more self-contained than what actually happens, mm-hmm. if not in a plot plot level, you know, of what happens in a thematic level sort yes. of thing. There's there's a distinct color to every mm-hmm. episode, yeah, um, and things like that. And so it's it's it sometimes feels to me like the great TV shows, great perhaps in air quotes, there are trying to hide the fact that they're TV shows. Huh. They're just trying to be a movie stretched out over, over yeah, ten cut episodes, up in, cut, or, cut yeah. up into chunks. Yeah, because yeah. um, huh. even even one of my and and I say one of my favorite. It's not necessarily one of the greatest things of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, miniseries, The Stand, has four two-hour episodes. I've heard that that's good. It is. It's really good. Yeah. I'm actually listening to the audiobook. Uh, that's uh, Stephen King, right? Yeah. 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 Um, and it's it's got four. It is one complete story because it is a novel, and mm-hmm. they, they did a fairly good job of adapting it. Um, but each two-hour episode is self-contained. Mm-hmm. It's actually an hour and a half without commercials, but is is more or less self-contained in that it is an episode. It is yeah. a distinct unit of television. And I think one of the great things about television is that episodic structure, mm-hmm. in that you can have these self-contained pieces. That create a larger whole and have you know a thread running through them, but don't necessarily have to do that. Hmm. You know, I know I've not seen it, but I know about the episode "Fly" of Breaking Bad. Yeah, um, which is you know sort of the epitome of the episodic episode, and that is entirely self-contained and and is drives some people crazy. But I I guess I haven't seen that far into it yet. Oh, how far are you? Well, I'm through season one and a half or so. Okay, no, then, I, then you're not as far, that far. Then I won't. Yeah. I, I, I'm glad I didn't say anything about it. Yeah. Um, I may have said too much anyway. But okay. there is an episode <laughs> of Breaking Bad that is that is entirely self-contained. Um, okay. Or uh, I think The West Wing does a really good job of that mm-hmm. um, of having larger story items that go on, mm-hmm. but still epi- each episode is self-contained within itself. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a complete unit of TV. Okay. Um, because seeing... Because TV is still watched on a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, saying, and I know most people come to The Wire this way, you know, they come to it after the fact, of, you know, this is a whole story, and it is complete... As a unit, yeah, and and should be watched as such. David Simon even kind of said that. He said, you know, it's it's a whole thing watching in five it in, acts. In yeah. five acts, watching the whole thing. Yeah, but but that's how we watch TV, one episode at a time. Yeah, and so that's that's how TV is structured to be watched. Mm. And so it, I would probably go crazy if I were watching Game of Thrones on a weekly basis. Of. Yeah, it's, it the second season definitely feels different from the first. So, for what that's worth, yeah, yeah um, watching it this way changes it a little. But bit. and then and a lot of those TV shows I've been watching recently are are kind of in that borderline a little bit. But I've been watching episodically because I don't watch episodes back to back. 
Yeah. I'll watch an episode of Mad Men and go to Deep Space Nine and then go to... <laughs> what else were we watching? Friday Night Lights. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we'll watch, you know, different things. And it is much closer to watching them in their original format. Yeah. Um, which sometimes goes and always a little frustrating. Yeah. Um, and some shows lend themselves to marathoning more easily. I can watch ten episodes of Cake Boss in a day and not feel bad. <laughs> oh. Yeah, it's uh, Pawn Stars for me. Have you, fa- have you seen Hardcore Pawn? No. It's, it's like Pawn Stars, except instead of being in the flashy Vegas, all these high-dollar items, mm-hmm. it's in the worst part of Detroit. Oh. Wow. And it's people trying to hawk phones. And... A guy brought in a, a, a six-year-old computer monitor on an episode I was watching yesterday. And he's like, I'm not, not going to buy this. this is, you don't even have a whole computer. It's a, it's a monitor. And yeah. it's old. <laughs> <laughs> or there's a woman, you know, who, who came in and insisted she bought this bracelet or ring or something for $250 at this shop. And they're like, no, this is fake. I mean, we're not going to buy this. These are cubic zirconia. This is low-quality gold. Oh, man. And we're not going to give anything for it. And if you bought them here, you did not pay $250 for them. Yeah. And so it's much more antagonistic than the Pawn Stars for the friendly. Yeah, let me get someone to check that out for you. No, man, I'm <laughs> yeah, sorry. Let this me get... autograph's fake. <laughs> I know a guy. There was a, on Reddit, there was briefly that meme, you know, um, Oh, you have uh, you know rare nineteenth century uh, cutlery. You know, let me just let me call my friend who's an expert in rare nineteenth century cutlery. You know, <laughs> I got a buddy who knows all about this sort of stuff. Yeah. Badphilosophy.com. There was something that I I was gonna get. Uh,